Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Friends, we're rushing this episode out to you because the last episode of the Disney Plus live action Percy Jackson has just been released. We're recording this on January 31st and I'm recording it uh, just a few hours later with the hope that it's going to be in your earbuds uh, tomorrow, Thursday. So we want to get a quick turnaround on this and for the next couple of weeks, the superhero ethics uh, schedule is going to be a little bit off kilter. We're going to put out episodes when we can. Uh, we're going to mostly stick to our normal schedule, but this one's going to come out soon. And then we're also going to be having a bunch of episodes right when um, the new version of Avatar The Last Airbender uh, comes out. Today, we're all about doing uh, reviewing the live actions of children's classic shows that people are excited but nervous about. And for this, I've got two great guests. I've got uh, Alex Corman. Uh, who is one of my regular guests on the Star Wars Universe podcast, and Amelia Love, uh, who is a first-time guest on here, but has been someone I've been talking about Percy Jackson with for quite some time, including during the show, and I knew I really wanted their opinions and feedback during this episode. So, Amelia, let me start with you. Um, before you talk about the show, talk about the books and what they meant to you. So, I got into Percy Jackson, actually, like, during the pandemic. Like, I'd read the first one you know, back in uh, middle high school when they started coming out for me and then never really picked him up again. And then during the pandemic, I kept seeing TikToks about them Mm -hmm. and it made me download them all on my Kindle. And it was just a progressively read all that had been released (laughs) back to back. Like I read through them and it was at the same time that the last trial of Apollo book was coming out. So I mm-hmm. read up to that book and then had like a week before that one came out. Yeah. So I got to read basically 15 <clears throat> in a row, which was insane. And I did that in about two weeks. <laughs> and what do you think it was about the books, the the characters, and the writing that drew you in so much? I really loved like just the overall found family throughout mm-hmm. all of the different Percy Jackson series. Um, but specifically, you know, the foundation it builds with Annabeth and Grover and Percy in the first book, and then later on with more characters as it grows. But I really mm-hmm. just liked that, how it was done. Like, it was like everyone had their flaws, you know, there were issues between everyone, but it all worked out. And along the way, you know, you get this, you know, this retelling of Greek mythology in a very child way. <laughs> Yeah. Which you have to. It's Greek mythology. But, you know, I think that gets kids interested, too. You know, you start with the Percy Jackson books and then you end up, you know, studying it on your own can lead to mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I, I think I might have started reading them a little before the pandemic or it might have been during the pandemic. But I know one of the things that really drew me in was that I think this is part of why I was being talked about so much on TikTok. Actually, I think I discovered it earlier, but it's talked about for similar reasons is that was around the time when more and more people were starting to realize just what a terrible person J.K. Rowling was. And we're starting to realize, like, I think I had, I had gone through, like, the last wave of that and it was when I discovered Percy Jackson. But a lot of people were talking about Percy Jackson and, and the books in part because the author, Rick Rorden, is, like, super queer positive, uh, really does a lot to uh, bring in p- people of color into his books uh, and and draw, like, when he wrote a trans character in a book, he, like, worked a lot with other trans authors to, to, to cover things like that. And so I kept seeing these things where he was presented as this sort of, like, 
you know, all the joy of the Harry Potter world, because, you know, it is kind of a similar thing of like a bunch of kids coming together and sharing the fact that they have these magical abilities and they're all in different kind of communities based on uh, their parents or things like or their beliefs or things like that. In this case, their parents. Um, so it kind of hits a similar niche, but with a much different perspective. And that is both true of the author, but also true of the books. And. Um, so for, yeah, for me, I think all the things you talked about, the found family, I guess they're all cousins, but they have still found family, um, dynamics, getting to see the kids age. I think that was told really well, but also it just hit at a time when I was really hungry for more of this and, and feeling really betrayed that the, the Harry Potter books I loved so much, I was now seeing through very different eyes. So it really meant a lot to me to, to see, to, to find this new thing. Uh, Alex, what about for you? Yeah, I, um, I read them as they came out. Uh, my mom got me the first book when it came out in 2005, and I was about eight years old. Um, I feel like I was really like the perfect age for these books. And like, this is Percy Jackson's my favorite book series of all time. Like, I grew up with the characters, you know, every few years, every year or two when a new book came out. My mom would take me to, to Borders, which was the Barnes and Noble equivalent back in the day, and we'd get the book right when it came out, and I would stay up all night reading it. Um, like, I never had that experience with the Harry Potter books that a lot of other people had growing up. Um, I was just a, I was a little too young for it. Um, and Percy Jackson was, was just my – it was my thing, and, and, and my uh, my friends all really got into it. And, and it's just – I connected so deeply with Percy on so many different levels. I mean, I, to this day, am very ADHD. But, you know, as a kid, I was ADHD, you know, working through – and I was, never, I was never, like, a problem in schools, but, like – you know, teachers having to work with me and my parents about me being too impulsive and too, like, you know, just, mm-hmm. just kind of crazy. And um, it's just a lot of, like, the things that Percy described, I basically convinced myself that I was a demigod. Like, I was like, I, I check every <laughs> box on the list you have just laid in front of me. I have to be demigod. And I also, like, I've also always my whole life felt very connected to water and felt very, like, safe and, 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 and special like like I don't know I feel special inside when I'm in water like so I and that was bef- even before I read this book so I was like oh my god I- I'm Percy's brother I gotta be the son of like, like eight year old me was like, convinced that like I was a demigod um and I just I grew up with them and then when the um uh I can't remember what the, the, the sequel series was called but the the Heroes of Olympus um when those came out I read them always they came out um I did not read the Trials of Apollo I read I like. I read. I skimmed the first book a bit. Um, I just I care mostly about stories that really center around Percy, um, and I it's not that I, I'm against the Apollo books at all. I think I'll read them eventually. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but I've reread the originals and the Heroes of Olympus countless times. Um, well, oh, I think when you you mentioned the uh, Apollo books, I think you're actually thinking about the Heroes of Rome books, right? Because we don't really have a whole series of Apollo yet. Trial of Apollo is just five books. Yeah, there's a Trials of Apollo. It's there's a, a whole five book series on, on Apollo. It's the third one. Oh, okay. No, yeah. I haven't included it. Here's the, Heroes of Olympus is the Roman one, so that's like yeah. the Roman. Oh, like, okay. Crossover. Got, got, uh, got Which it. I really the, the first book I didn't love in that series, but the other four I loved. But um, actually, I, I still have my original five Percy Jackson books I had from growing up, um, with all the same tears and little marks and stuff I made in them, which I think is special. But. Um, yeah, Percy Jackson is like extremely important to my identity. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I love that, and I love that we have a couple different perspectives here in terms of when we discovered Percy Jackson and and, and what these characters have meant to us. And so, let me then for the next question. Um, I think a lot of us had some trepidation about uh, a live action version of these books because there had been a little bit of live action already uh, that not everyone loves. Uh, so, 
for both of you, what do you guys think of the live action movie? If you've seen it, there's two of them actually, and they're both ass. <laughs> so I sorry, actually sorry, do, do, I, do I have to not curse on this one, Matthew? Uh, ass is fine. I, I want I want kids to be able to listen to it, especially because Percy Jackson. So we'll keep the language fairly family friendly. But I, I, ass I, is fine. I, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I actually watched the movies before I read the books because I remember when they came out. So, uh-huh. and even then I knew they were bad. <laughs> I was like, this is <laughs> like, oh, wow. I was like, these are not going to do good. And then they didn't. And I feel like they were really just trying to contend with the competition at the time. Yeah. Like they were silly and they were. Yeah. Like, they pushed them out though. I think. Yeah. I just, I just think that the entire fact that the three main characters were all in their twenties <laughs> as they're running around just immediately just discredits the film listen i love yeah. logan learman but that oh, was I do too. that was not <laughs> the best move yeah i was a big stand I, for him to be the poseidon in this series he's not yes. old enough yet i get yeah. it but I, I think it's a common thing that that happens when there's books that are about kids who are like just on the cusp of being teenagers they often will make them like much older teenagers although or can just appear as like full-on like adults in part because they want the like you know, heartthrobness and like to be more okay with like the flirtatiousness of the sexuality of the characters. Um, and I'm really glad the show didn't do that here because I hated that in the movie. It, yeah, the movies are not great. Um, but so let's, okay, let's talk about the show itself. What did we, uh, I think we have a lot of specific things to go into, but um, Amelia, you first. What'd you think of the show overall? So I think it started off strong. Like, I was really happy with the first two episodes. Like, the changes were mm-hmm. minor. It seemed like we were going to get a really good adaptation. And then it just slowly started going its own way. Yep. And I, it just got more <clears throat> and more that I was like, okay, okay. And I feel like, you know, I'm always happy when there's an adaptation because it always gets people more interested in something but when you mm-hmm. you promised to the fans that this was going to be so good and then you kind of let it spin off in its own way, like even the ending of it is different. Like um, they don't make it in time for the solstice. They meet yeah. directly with Zeus. And then everything with Luke's betrayal. What's, what's that sword? What's going on with this? Like, you know, that's not what happened at all. Like, yeah. And that I, was I the... Was I the only one who was really rooting for for Luke at the end? Like I I kind of felt like the show had the the Magneto Killmonger problem of they make a villain have a point, but they actually wind up making the villain so sympathetic that the only thing that like turns you against them is that they're being betrayed by the wrong people or the you know their methods are bad because every word of Luke's speech about how the gods treat us like like you know terrible parents I was like. Yeah, kid's right. If I may offer my thought on this. Um, I agree with everything that you just said, is that I, I felt pretty good about the first two episodes. There was a few little things I was, like, upset about in that, like, I, I and this is a theme throughout. I think that Disney sanitized the story, personally. I think that mm-hmm. the domestic abuse that occurred towards Sally, which exists in the book, was really watered down. I think that like a lot, a lot of more, some of the more heavy things were just made more. And I get it, like they wanted to make it a more kid friendly show. But if I was able to read that in a book at eight years old, I feel like we could put it on a screen in a way that still is true to that heart. To the point of Luke, I really liked the casting of Luke. I thought Luke's acting was great. But I agree with you, Matthew. It actually made me mad because 
Luke doesn't seem like wrong. He doesn't like they, they they didn't they didn't I don't think like make the gods seem unlikable enough. Like they portrayed Poseidon as too good of a dad. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a, he's not a good dad in the book. He is a really bad. He literally says mm-hmm. and I quote to Percy in the book, "I'm sorry you were born, child." And in the in the show he's like defending him from Zeus, surrender like doing all these, you know. And so I think that the gods are portrayed as you know, bad parents enough to like really hit home Luke's point of the guys being bad parents. And like, we only know that they're really bad because I think that we've read the books, but Luke was so likable that I didn't feel, I didn't feel the betrayal. Like in the book, I was so shocked and hurt and upset. And in the show, I'm like, this entire betrayal scene was like three minutes and he's just gone. What the hell? Um, and they didn't even like bring in like the fact that backbiter is, also able to harm humans. Like that's a big part of how Luke is kind of turned to this darker side of himself. Like they don't explain a lot of the darker things that I think hit home his betrayal and his character. So I was, I lost as it went on. I, I, I kept trying to defend the show and believe in it and believe in it. And at the end I was like, man, you just changed way too much, Rick, way too much. Yeah. yeah that's exactly how I felt. Definitely like the points you touched on with like, Gabe's abuse being, like, negated and stuff like that. That's exactly what I was thinking the whole end of the episode, um, watching that. I was like, mm-hmm. are they going to, like, you know, portray this? Is this going to – how are we going to do this? And then they just skimmed it. Oh, whatever. She divorced him. Right. You know, I really well, – mean- Especially because <laughs> in the book, she kills him. Yeah, she like, kills she genies, him. She genies got a Medusa yes. head. And he sets and it up. And she sells him. Did you guys yeah. – did you all watch the end credit scene? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't so see there's it. there's an end credit scene, Matthew. Do you mind if I tell you? Yeah, no, go for so it. So basically, it's it's a, it's it's this, it's him turning the stone. So he it pans back to before, like right before Percy and Sally get back. Uh, or Sally had just gotten back. She changed the locks to the apartment, and he finds a package outside that says, Return to Sender from the Gods. And Gabe just opens it himself just to be a jerk and finds Medusa's head and turns himself to stone. So they incorporated it, but again, it's sanitized because Sally doesn't kill him. He, it's just him being a jerk and doing it to himself, which I think, again, like, Sally was, was – it, it, it really diminishes Sally's character because she suffered through domestic abuse willingly to protect Percy, and that's just not what's being portrayed. And then she finally gets a chance to take that back and to get back at him and to, like, take back her life and, and get rid of this just vile, vile man. Like, I didn't actually hate Gabe. He was just a goofy loser. As being from New Jersey – I've met many, many Jets fans that look and act like Gabe in the show. And that's just not how he is in the books. J-E-T-S. Oh, God. Jets, 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 Ugh. motherfucker. Um, I'm a hardcore Jets fan. We're not like that. I'm but so yes, no, here, I definitely hear, hear your point. I'm so sorry um, to hear that. And yeah, and, and it's funny because also like in the books, Gabe is like calling the police on them. And it's like doing all these things to like – put Percy in trouble and that's never it, it kind of hinted at in the show but we don't get anywhere near as much of that and I really like what you said there about how how um how you know impactful what Sally does at the end there is and the way Percy helps her do it and to me it's even worse because like to me the, the Olympic the, the it's funny that you thought that in this the Olympian parents aren't as bad because I, I think they absolutely are I think they're flat out abusive and you're right Poseidon is nicer at that end scene, 
But the rest of the time, him, like, not acknowledging him, you know, all the other stuff, like the, like, Athena basically being like, okay, well, you were kind of rude, so I'm going to set this monster in to possibly kill you. Um, I think it was part of why I was rooting for Luke. I I thought Luke was right, because it's, especially because when Percy says, like, well, but our parents are trying their best, it's like, that to me feels like a really bad message to send to people, especially kids, if your parents are really being horrible. I think I get what you're coming. Sorry, Emily, you go ahead. I think one of the main overall points of the first five Percy Jackson books and um is that Luke isn't necessarily wrong. Like that's something that mm-hmm. they all struggle with later on in the book, especially Annabeth, because of her relation yeah. to Luke. Um they do struggle with that and that, that theme is brought up several times later on. Which hopefully we do get to see to yeah. the screen. I hope we get all of this. I hope we get Heroes of Olympus. I need mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> that I need to see them all come yeah. to, come to life on the screen. But um, yeah, I think a, a big part of that is just, uh, I can't explain it. I'm t- well, too many feelings. To... Matt, Matt, can I just respond super quickly? I just want to respond that I, I think I get where you're coming from and the gods part, but I think what got me was that like, Sally drops a candle anywhere she goes. Poseidon shows up immediately to be by her side. Hephaestus immediately helps Annabeth. Um, Hermes lets them take the keys. They just—they they all seem to be being a little bit nicer and a little more likable in the books. They mm. were just jerks, and like I was like these guys. Like like by the end, I'm like, all right, Poseidon's kind of cool, but like they were all just real bad people. And I felt like in the in the show. They just they were more likable, and Poseidon especially was being a much better helper to Sally than it ever seemed like she was being. That's in the fair. Books. That's fair. I guess to me then my problem is that the only parent Greek parent who looks truly awful is Athena. Yeah, which feels really weird for her to be the worst. Yeah, because <laughs> she tries to kill her. She 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 doesn't try to kill her daughter, but she puts her daughter in a life and death situation yeah. because her daughter was rude. Yeah, or her daughter's friend was rude. Yeah. I like well, wanted to physically put myself between Poseidon and Sally when they were talking to each other in too. the restaurant. I was like, no, don't talk to him, girl. <laughs> like I wanted to like get them apart. I was like, no, you do not do not talk to him. I don't want any relationship between the two of them. Uh-uh. I need mm-hmm. Paul to come in right now and steal Sally away. <laughs> yeah, because in, yeah. in the book, Poseidon doesn't show up until Percy has yeah. a birthday party at the end. And yeah. then Poseidon just rolls it. And that's such a better way. And I, I don't know. I just. Yeah. Yeah. No, because you're right, because they didn't instead of make because I think the the thing that they do in the book is to say, like, you know, Luke is the killmonger. Luke is the Magneto where he like has a good solid point, but he's willing to kill humans. He's got a human killing sword. He's willing to work with Kronos. And yeah, well, clearly, though, there's a lot about the show that we liked because like as Amelia was just saying, like we do, you know, Amelia was saying at least that she wants more of it. I certainly want more of it. Uh, I think there is a lot of good in this. So we can go back to some of our critiques in a second. But let's just talk about what are some of the things that really worked, especially in those first couple episodes. And I'll I'll actually start by throwing one out. Um, and it's funny because I just talked with Alex about this on the Star Wars podcast. In the books, I think – well, actually, let me back, back this up a bit and actually ask you. Alex, when you were reading them as a kid, did you find the, the scenes with the monsters scary? Um n- – uh depending i did not find um i did not find uh uh uh, uh the, the like the, the actual monsters the minotaur scary really it was kind of like 
humorous. Um, what I did find scary in the books that I don't think was actually scary. So what they reversed it, in my opinion, in the, in the show is that I found Hades scary. I found some of the gods scary in the books, and they kind of made them more likable in the show, while the monsters mm-hmm. I felt like became way scarier in the show. Right. Well, yeah, because that, that's where uh, we'll get to the gods in a little bit. But I was getting the monsters specifically. For me, reading them as an adult, it, it, they, they were all slapstick. You know, the Minotaurs chasing him, but the Minotaurs and Tidy Whiteys, and we focus on that. And like every monster, there's always some silliness as it's trying to adopt to the modern world. In this, though, they were just straight up terrifying. Like the first scene with that Minotaur was one of the things that made me really be like, I like where the show is going, because it felt like it was a lot scarier than the books were. I agree. So that's kind of my first thing about what I liked. What what else do you guys like? I like a little bit of the modernization, which um, has mm-hmm. progressively happened in the books as they've come out. Like they've kind of like the references have stayed modern, even though I'm the same age as Percy Jackson is like chronologically, mm-hmm. but even though he's still only like 18, 19 in the books. But they've kept the references modern and like a Percy flossing. I thought that was really funny. And like mm-hmm. updating the music that Grover sings, you know, things like that that kept it modern without like completely mm-hmm. changing it. I really appreciated. Yeah. I thought Grover's performance was the best thing in the show. I think that um, I have opinions on all of, all of the different acting, but I think Grover by and far like like Grover embodied exactly what I imagined Grover being like growing up. Like this little shy, kind of goofy, but also sharp little satyr. The, o- the only thing that I felt like was a little bit missing from his character was he – I don't I didn't think he ate enough. I felt like in the book he was constantly yeah. eating tin cans I- and stuff. Um, he, he never ate a tin can, he did which it. I was very saddened about. I was sad about which, that too. But general acting wise, and the way he like portrayed the character, I thought was sp- like spot on spectacular. I thought he stole the yeah. show, in my opinion. I didn't think he was necessarily the best. I actually really liked the kid playing Percy, but I thought all of them. Oh, I, uh, also I actually, Percy. I think honestly, I think the best acting is Luke, but I think all of them were very, very good, especially for child actors. I do think Percy was spectacular. I personally thought Annabeth was a little wooden. I just don't, I don't know. Compared to the book, she didn't seem as like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like upfront in your face. I think, I think they, they, they interpreted the characters being more, like sit back and think wise while in the book, it's a lot more take action on the fly wise. And I wanted her to be a little more aggressive and maybe she will be in the future episodes or future books. Uh, but mm-hmm. that was my only, that was my main critique of Annabeth was I just was like, I need you to be more in it. I don't know. Amelia, what was your take on the actors? Um, I kind of agree with the Annabeth stuff. I think it might've been more of like, a director kind of issue than an actor issue because yeah. she started mm-hmm. off like really sassy like at the beginning there and i was like yeah that's annabeth and then she yeah. kind of just like took a step back and was more like yeah. you know a background character instead of being like up front and like you know making being a stronger lead you know that's what I, the word i was looking for yeah yeah She's she's more sitting back, well, like you said, like she's thinking, which is fine. She is a child of Athena, but that's not how Annabeth is. Right. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that it's a director thing, not an acting thing, because what I interpreted it as was it, it felt like that in this movie, in this show, 
they talk in the books about how she has lived most of her life at Camp Half-Blood and doesn't really know much about the world outside. But it felt like they were playing that up a lot more in the show. So I I interpreted it as like she was just a kind of uncomfortable with this leadership situation, you know, in terms of is she the leader or is Percy the leader, but also just that she um, felt very like fish out of water, which I thought the actress did a good job of portraying that character. But I agree with both of you. That's not the character as written in the books. Yeah. I think I just have a very, especially having grown up with the books, a very strong idea of who Percy, Annabeth, and Grover are. And I felt like the direction they gave Percy and Grover was spot on with what I always imagined. And the direction they gave Annabeth just didn't line up with how I've always imagined Annabeth. And so I think it just bothered me. And I couldn't unsee it. That's fair. Yeah, I thought the actress was great, but I definitely think they made some directorial choices. I, that I also agree with you, Luke's acting, spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. And Clarice. I thought Clarice was also... Oh, yeah. I, I remember thinking in both the book and the movies that I wanted more of her. And I thought the actress they got to play Clarice was so spot on good. And I... In the book, she's specifically described as ugly. And I... Rick, Rick, Rick Rorden, the, the author has really, like, grown up with the books himself as well. And he has said that, like, part of why he started including more queer characters was he he got, you know, negative feedback that they, they weren't there and he, want, he, he listened and he learned. And I think that his writing of women characters has grown a lot. And I think that a little bit of the writing of Clarice in the first book as, you know, she's kind of ugly and looks kind of like, you know, like Tom, not, not even tomboyish, but just kind of like she's heavy set and she's not pretty at all. And the fact that the actress who plays Carice is gorgeous and mean as hell and, like, not catty, but just going to totally kick your ass. I thought it was just it, – it really felt like an evolution of the character in that way, but one I really, really loved. I have a slightly different opinion on that. <laughs> um, I get what you're saying, but I act, it actually kind of – it bothered me a little bit because I was expecting a plus-size – actress like you know why why can't mm. we have like you know a plus size actress who in the book you know Chris described as having like a camel jacket and being very punk and like you know um and i felt like you know now i, I, I want to clarify this by saying i really did enjoy her performance and her acting a lot in the show but i i don't know it felt to me like i was like why why did you have to take that aspect of Chris away like why can't she be a little like what's wrong with being a little a little beefy as you as, as a child why do you have why does why do all of the characters have to be like fit in shape like i, I don't know i think that part just kind of got me because i was like i felt like in the in the book that was one of his better ways of like being a little more inclusive at how the folks with the camp and i felt like they could have I, I don't know that's just how i interpret it and I, and I and i and i agree of course he's gorgeous in the show and i was like did, did they did they make that choice you know, like, why did they make that choice? I, I, I just get kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with Alex, too. I mean, like, you never see, especially, like, plus-size child actors, you know? Mm-hmm. How many of those do you see? You know, it would have been good to get some representation up there, mm-hmm. you know? That's fair. I mean, I, I, I would just push back and say that I think that you could have had plus-size and still have her gorgeous. I'm more sure, talking that's about fair. the fact well, no she's described that, as yeah. ugly. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but I, in that regard, I totally agree. Although I do think there's something weird if you only have two real female campers we get to know, and the good one is thin, and the the the, the bad one is 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 heavier. But but I also hear what you're saying. Like 
the, 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 it's interesting that that's the part of the representation that you picked up on because I was just more focused on the ugly part. But yeah, I think both of us have have good points yeah. there. Um, I also will say that I did. I, I think you're right that a lot of the kids looked like they were, you know, um, uh, really in great shape and kind of stuff like that. And uh, I did like that there was one of the kids who was in great shape but was also in a wheelchair, and that was definitely a nice touch. I thought. I'm asking a question in regards to that. Um, do you feel like when they include a character, like you're someone in a wheelchair, for example, and they're only on screen for a brief moment, does it feel inclusive or does it feel like they're just doing it to check a box? Like that's a genuine question. Like when Disney like throws in a character or whether they th- whether it's like just a person of color or, you know, um, uh, you know, if, if, they, if you want to include, you know, an indigenous actor. So someone where it's just a briefly on screen just to say, oh, look. We have inclusion. Like, did you feel like the fact that the character was only on screen briefly was beneficial, or did you feel like it felt like Disney was just kind of doing that just to be Disney? I think I'm kind of happy to finally be a box that someone wants to check. Yeah. Like, I do think in that regard it was just box checking, and that's not enough. Yeah. But I think that, like, A, the fact that Hephaestus, I mean, this isn't, like, something Rorden came up with. This is, like, from the Greek myths themselves. But, like, he is disabled, and they Mm -hmm. play that as disabled when he shows up. Um, And the fact that I know in later things there's going to be more of that. And the fact that most of the – like, I think if we had gotten to know, like, five other campers, but then the one in the wheelchair had only been on screen for two seconds, I would have felt differently. Okay. But the fact that, like, really we we get to know, you know, our our three heroes – Clarice and Luke and that's about it mm-hmm. and so having like one of the many others be you know th- there's an Asian who's only on screen for a few seconds there's you know um etc cetera, etc cetera. so but yeah I, I think it's a fine line to walk and I kind of think that disability has been so long forgotten in that regard that it's we're just at the like but also probably like if I hadn't seen Echo a week ago and felt like I see myself on screen in the most representative way anyone's ever been represented, yeah. which is weird because she's a native woman, deaf person who I'm not any of those three things, but I saw in her more of my story as a amputee than I've ever seen on screen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And like, if this was the like, look, we have superhero representation. You got to be a guy. I'd be like, no, fuck that. Right. Or, yeah, and, and forgive I, me. F I that, think I but. asked that because, you know, if I may ask one other kind of larger question in that I know that, you know, there was a lot of fans and Rick pushed heavily back against this because a lot of it came across as very racist commentary that were upset that they cast a black girl for Annabeth because in the book she's described as a white, blonde, California girl. Um, and I don't think that her race matters in the slightest in her and how she and how anything happens in the books. Um, but people, you know, I, I've heard the argument from people that Disney and Rick chose to do a lot of this casting just to, to seem inclusive and that it was not, well, they did it just to be inclusive and, and, and have people of color on screen and not like, let me see if I'm a bit, bit of words. Like, instead of just doing that to have him write more, you know, inclusive characters in the first place, like, you know, Indico D'Angelo, who we haven't met in the show yet is Hispanic and. Um, you know, writing those, you know, different ca- like actually writing the characters a certain way. Do you feel like the castings were done? You know, what, what is your what is your take on all of that dialogue? Well, first of all, as Amelia points out, Nico is Italian. He's not Latino. Oh, you're right. Leo you're right, is sorry. Hispanic. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank Leo. you. And then then we um, have Hazel, too. And um, like he got Hank. better at writing those characters yeah, as did. the books went on. Yeah, he added yeah. a lot more, and Reina and everyone, just everyone in like Heroes of Olympus was pretty. Yeah, it was so much, yeah. so much more yeah, of a Piper. diverse story. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's kind of what I was saying. And I think, honestly, I, like, from a lot of other, like, I, I kind of feel like, given that growth from Rick Reardon himself, for him to go back and say, yeah, I wrote those books is probably a little too white. I want to fix that when I bring it to screen mm-hmm. is totally fine. I also think that if you have the chance to have Lance Riddick anywhere in your show, <laughs> you change everything yeah. so it fits around Lance Riddick. And yeah. I I do think that the way the gods are written, the fact that Zeus is played by a black actor by no means – wait, actually, never mind all that because Annabeth is Athena's daughter. So ignore everything I just said. Um, but – um. <laughs> But certainly, I feel like the idea of like Lance Riddick, just like the moment he came on screen, my spouse Mary was like, "That's Zeus, of course, that's Zeus. He's yeah. so perfect." Well, it makes you wonder who they're going to cast as Thalia too, if they have right. if they have Lance Riddick playing as Zeus. I mean, who are we? What kind of character are we going to get for Thalia? Which is my favorite character personally in the whole series is Thalia. Yeah. I, so. I want them to cast me as Thalia. I don't care that I'm thirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because, and I think this is a real tragedy that obviously goes far beyond the show, but does affect the show. Lance Riddick has passed on. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to recast him or if they're going to, like, use something else or have Zeus be mostly off screen. Um, But, yeah, it is an interesting question. Um, I don't guess they recast him because gods can change their form. I feel like they could very easily. Yeah. But it's hard. It's very hard to recast Lance Riddick of anyone else. Yeah. He was so good in this, even though the part of Zeus is so different than the books. But I still loved him. For me, I think kind of the high watermark of the show, because it's both my favorite point and also I think after it, it starts to go downhill, was the Medusa episode. Mm. And this also felt to me like an episode where they had intentionally updated it. Because in the books, she is one of the monsters who they have to fight. And, you know, she at first appears kind of nice to them. And then, you know, they quickly realize that she's trying to, like get them onto her side, you know, for her fight against the gods, and then they have to fight her and kill her. And one of the things I think that has happened in more recent, like, just cultural development, um, in large part because of an incredible statue that was made, but also because of other things, is there's really been a change in how Medusa is perceived in popular culture. Um, And this understanding of that when you really look at the Zeus, look at the myths Medusa is a woman who is sexually assaulted in the temple and then gets punished by the gods for nothing that she did. Uh, It's 100% victim blaming. And that doesn't come up in the books because that conversation wasn't really happening yet. And I really loved Medusa's portrayal in this of she does get to be sympathetic and she does get to say, hey, think about how poorly I was treated. This wasn't fair. And she does then like turn on the kids and try to kill them. And so I understand why they have to kill her, even though it makes me sad because they need the head for so many other plot points. Um, but yeah, I just really loved the way she was portrayed and the way that they they allowed her story to be updated as our sort of cultural understanding of the myth was updated. But what, what did you both think of it? I, I, I liked the episode. I think that the only thing I would have liked different, and this is a, a critique I had throughout, is they just immediately knew it was Medusa. Like, that happened multiple times. They just immediately knew. And I think it took away a little bit from, like, the the surprise of, like, look at all these stones. Look at this nice lady. Oh, my God. And, like, I feel like maybe if they had, like, met her, they hear her story, they get to know her. Like, this kind of, similar things can happen. And then, then they realize it's Medusa. After they've connected with her and realize she's a kind person, that would have actually sunk in even more for me because I feel like a big part of the books was that, like, they are learning. Annabeth has not seen outside the, has not been outside the, for the world. Jesus, 
starts it over. Annabeth has not been out of camp very often. Um, Grover has, has, hasn't been on a quest since he helped save Luke and, uh, and Annabeth and, and let Thalia get turned into a tree. And, and Percy's brand new to all of this. And I felt like them just immediately having the answer took some air out of the sails. Um, it didn't take away from how much I liked the portrayal of Medusa and how that episode went. I actually liked a lot of the changes they did make in the episode and felt like it was a really fun, refreshing take on it. I just wish that, like, there was a little more suspense build of, like, you know, they come upon this place, they meet this kind woman, they listen to her story, they connect with her, and then we find out it's Medusa. It's just, right away, I'm like, man, come on. Mm. Amelia, what did you think of her? And the way they kind of updated her story, made her more sympathetic? Um, well, I think what that story was bold for Rick to include anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, given it is what it is. And, you know, I have a Medusa tattoo. And, yeah. uh, you know, everything that stands for and everything. That is a hard subject to broach when you're broaching middle schoolers. Like, I get that. Like, I have mm-hmm. I have a sixth grader. You know, perfect age for Percy Jackson right now. And I think they did the best they could. But I, I agree with Alex. Like, they rushed it. Like, where they were like, oh, we know she's Medusa. That was a little lame. I liked the mystery where they're kind of like, piecing it together mm-hmm. you know yeah. but i do like i did like that medusa kind of went more after annabeth like look at what your mother did to me and i didn't do anything you yeah. know i really liked that medusa had that like spunk where she where she was got to express herself and her story in the most disneyfied way possible very disneyfied yeah but you know i liked that like that felt good to me yeah yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think also in some ways that's Annabeth's best episode because yeah. I think that's where, you know, Percy is the one. One thing I always like about Annabeth and Percy's story is that they're such opposites. Percy is the one who is just learning about the gods and is very cynical and detached. Annabeth is the the gods can do no wrong. And this was, I think, a, a really great way of Medusa being the first one to sort of poke at Annabeth and be like, really, is your mom that perfect? So where do you think things started to come up? Where the wheels start to come off the bus? What are some of the things that didn't work for you? The Lotus Casino. Yeah. I've already talked to you about this. I will never... We did not learn from our mistakes of the past. Why are there children at a casino? It is not a casino. It is an arcade. And you have, like, these adults... Like, they they walk into a Vegas casino and are handed unlimited gambling money and they just go, oh, this seems right. Like, Annabeth is just like, yeah, this is normal. Like, smart, wise girl Annabeth is just like, yeah, the math checks out. We definitely look 21 and can gamble. And then I think something that was hard to portray, I think they did try to portray it, is the people in the different era outfits. Unfortunately, people in Vegas just kind of dress like that. I've noticed. <laughs> so it, it was kind of hard to tell until they were directly talking to people that they were supposed to be in dated clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how they could have made that better or worse. I think if they had stuck, stuck with the theme of it just being children in there, it would have been easier to tell that everybody was from different periods of time. Yeah. Um, I really don't like that they just go in there and talk to Hermes like that. <laughs> you know, we kind of yeah, changed yeah. the whole thing there. I... And you know, I don't, I don't like Lin Manuel Miranda as Hermes, mm-hmm. but I, that's, I just feel like Disney's played him too much. Honestly, it's nothing personal against him. I just feel like he's a money grab uh, casting. 
Mm-hmm. I agree fully. I mean, I I also I love Lin Manuel Miranda. I'm yeah. a big Hamilton fan. I love him in like all his Broadway stuff. Um, and like I like the scores he's done for Disney, but it just it didn't it didn't fit here mm-hmm. to me. I think I just all I could yeah. see was Lin Manuel Miranda. I couldn't see like I couldn't separate um, the character from the actor. And, and I also agree that this is kind of where a lot of it fell off for me. Um, I mean, again, there have been moments throughout that were like kind of poking me the wrong way, but this just, I mean, again, it's again, it's like the immediate, before they even got into the place, they're like, remember, we can't stay here long. Like this is, you know, we know the myth. This is what happens. Don't do like whatever. And like, again, in the book, they get trapped. They really are caught up. And like they, again, they kind of water that down and, yeah. um, and, and this is actually the single moment that I'm going to give the movie a piece of credit. In the movie, Percy realizes that they're stuck because he goes to play pinball next to some guy, like some hippie guy dressed in like clothes from the 70s. And he makes some some reference to like, a, like yeah, I love this this movie, whatever the pinball game was, you know, best movie of the year, 1970. And it like makes you realize that like time moves differently. And I was like, wow, that was a clever way of doing it. And I feel like a simple interaction, like a two second line or something could have really done that because I feel like that wasn't really portrayed as strongly and they missed the deadline like this, this made them lose all of that time where they just fully missed the deadline that just takes all of the wind out of the quest what what yeah. what are we doing we'll, we'll get to the stuff about the gods in a second because I'm 100% there just on the casino versus arcade thing I don't know if this is why they did it but I'm curious Alex as a kid did you go to arcades and like put time. quarters in a machine okay so that because I, I wondered if they think that like modern kids don't and maybe like Gen Alpha. Do, uh, Amelia, does your daughter ever want to go to or your child ever want to go well, to? Well, she doesn't um, want to go kids? to the casino. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, like we go to Dave and Buster's, you know, like we go to arcades. I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so there's no reason why it couldn't have yeah, been. Yeah, like I, it, there's definitely that's definitely still a part of they childhood. They just did it to fit the Las Vegas vibe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Children in casinos. I don't know. That's such a weird stretch for me. And they, they did it in the movie. They did it in the show. I don't get it. Why can't yeah. you just make it an arcade? Like, why did it have to be a casino? Like, we know it's in Vegas, but it's implying that these children are in there playing. Like, they're showing like people playing poker and stuff. Like, <laughs> I will say well, it's better. Because- it's better in the movie when Grover was just going down with like eight ladies at a craps table <laughs> as he's like rolling dice. I'm like, Jesus. Oh. Well, and especially because in the book, one of the things I think that really comes across really well, and this actually is is like legitimate to the Lotus Eaters from the the, the Odyssey, uh, is that the, the original work by Homer is that in the book, you know, they've been sleeping in buses, they've been sleeping on, uh, by the side of the road, they've 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 had all these horrible, awful experiences, and here's a it's not just an arcade, it's a hotel where they have rooms waiting for them and these comfortable beds and linen sheets and and showers that are just baths that are so luxurious. And it's the the incredible contrast between all of this like awfulness where and also that everyone has been turning their backs on them. All the gods are trying to screw them or ignoring them. None of their parents are helping. And here the whole staff is like, oh, Percy Jackson, we're so glad to see you. And to me, that's a big part of what makes it so appealing, and uh, that and the awesome games. Because again, like yeah, I don't know many twelve-year-olds or fourteen-year-olds who are going to be like, "Ooh, blackjack." Um, it's kind of a boring game unless you have a chance to win money at it. Um, so yeah, I just thought that whole scene was done weird. And, and as for the Lin Manuel Miranda part of it, we start to get into the, the gods. For me, I 
granted, I, I was someone who really loved Greek myths growing up, and I think in the Greek mythology at least, Hermes is really portrayed as like the teenager of the group. Like he is he is the youngest of the gods. And he's still like kind of a man child in a lot of ways. Like he's, you know, supposed to, like he's the guy who you imagine if you went over to his house, like he'd have like some empty pizza boxes and probably be like play, up, up all night playing video games. And one of the things that I always loved about the book is that I think this is more developed in the later books of the series. But you get the idea of is that like Hermes wasn't old enough to have it to be a father yet. And that that's part of why he was not a great father to, to Luke. And like none of the gods are good fathers, but that he was kind of like. You know, he's kind of like that man-child who has a kid and has no idea what to do with him. And, yeah, so making it Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is just much older and distinguished, and, like, it, it just felt all wrong. And it just, I don't know, it took, the way they introduced the character is not as good as the way they introduced him in the books. And, like, the, the fact that, like, he kind of brushed past a little bit, like, Anna just briefly explained how Luke's mom was a seer and, like, everything that happened. I was like, where's... There's so much more expose. This is important to understanding Luke and his backstory and why he thinks the way he thinks. Why are we rushing through this story? It just it felt like they were just trying to squeeze it in for no reason. Yeah. Did it actually feel too short to you? Like I I I, I think a seat like a movie was you could never do this book in you know, a movie. No, it felt way too short. They rushed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt like a ten episode or twelve episode series would have worked much better. I was it, entirely it, surprised by how short the episodes were. I was yeah. like, that's it. Yeah. That like there was one that was like under forty minutes. I was like, "Wow, okay." Like I feel like it takes me longer to read that, and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, and it felt like they really wanted to focus on the action adventure, you know, like where it's like, I actually really care about this mother of monsters and her whole dynamic than I do like watching CGI of this huge scorpion chimera monster. Yeah, the pacing just felt weird to me throughout. It felt like they like were just, I don't know, like sometimes they spent time like with getting from point A to point B and spent a lot of time exposing like a short period of time and other times they're going through multiple days in like 10 minutes. Um, mm. I agree with you. I think 10, 12 episodes would have really helped. I mean, just skipped over a bunch of, like the Empire State Building, go up to the Olympus, which should have been this big, grandiose, climactic moment. It's over in five minutes. Yeah. What do you all think about the way the other gods were portrayed? Let's actually start with Poseidon. Too soft. Too soft. Fully Too soft. agree. Why does he, like, care? I don't like that. I don't trust yeah. him. Yeah. It makes me nervous. I don't like that he's being nice. I don't like In that the, he yeah. talked to Sally ever. I don't want him to ever yep. talk to her ever again. I will put a restraining order on him for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that he cared as much about Percy. You know? I I didn't like it. I, it was weird. They were trying to make us feel compassionate for the gods when Luke makes really good points that you shouldn't be compassionate for the gods. And in the book, they back that up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They yes. back it up. Yeah. Because, like, there is, there's the one moment where Poseidon says that he's, like, really proud of Percy. And Percy's like, oh, my God, thank you. And your heart just breaks because it's like that abused kid or partner who just gets that little love kernel and is like oh this is so wonderful and you're like you should be getting that every day yeah i feel i fully that's what i I articulated this poorly earlier but that's what i was trying to get at is that i felt like the same exact what amelia just said is that posada was too soft and was just too they tried to make it seem like he carried a lot more guilt than he really does. Like, I think in the books, it's portrayed that he is a little guilty, he feels a little bad, and he does have a little favoritism towards Percy. 
But like it's still he's still a very distant father. Very distant, very hands off, very like, you know. And I think again, that's what like makes you question throughout the series, will Percy join with Luke? like will he maybe actually agree with Luke? Like will Annabeth agree with like 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 it makes you question like if Annabeth or Percy yeah. might actually join up with Luke at some point. But in this point, like they've made it very clear that like, you know, Percy will defend the gods to the end. Poseidon's not the bad of a dad towards him, but Athena is a jerk towards Annabeth. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It it just uh, the, the look of Poseidon was great, but it just I don't feel like the the energy of the character. All, all the gods vote too nice except yeah. for Zeus. Well, especially because, like you guys said, as I'm thinking about it, like that part worked great in the first couple episodes. Like Poseidon doesn't show up. He doesn't say great job and capture the flag. He just lets his trident be above the kid. And then we immediately learn it's not because he's like, oh, poor Percy. Percy should know who his dad is. It's like, oh, I'm in a fight with my brother. I need my kid all of a sudden to do this very dangerous mission. So all of a sudden I'll claim him. And like they established that in the in the show in the early episodes. I just don't know what happened later. And what about Hades and Zeus and, and, and Ares? Because they're, like, in the books, in all three of them, they're portrayed fairly supernaturally when he first meets them. And then they kind of shrink down into Hades and Zeus. Both are, like, 10 foot tall. And uh, Hades has, like, fire in his eyes and all this kind of stuff. And and they wind up being, Ares, I'm sorry, has, like, fire in his eyes and winds up being more human. What do you think about the changes they made there? I don't like what uh, they did to Hades. Me neither. That was they made him a little little Lucy. Lucy Goosey. Yeah. And I didn't like that. It was weird. I was like, this is yeah. not Hades at all. Like I literally had just read that part in the book when that episode came out in my reread, and I was like, This is so wrong. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny because I'm I commented to Amelia about Ares. Because I had just read the part about Ares in the book, and so I was like, oh, this is so wrong. And Amelia's like, what are you talking about? Because I actually think that the actor who plays Ares was spot-on perfect. And I'm willing to believe that maybe that the, um, like, they tried having them look, it just looked cheesy. You know, because some effects work better on page than they do on screen. Yeah. But I I don't know what they were going for with Hades. He just seemed kind of, like, like shady and slimy instead of, like, haunted or, you know. It just, it felt like... The way that Hayes always always described in the books was a little more put together, a little like you could you know, he had a human side that you saw come out a little bit around Nico and stuff. But yeah. he was always like scarier to me in the books and like more mm-hmm. aggressive and um I just I agree with you. I thought Ares casting was really, really, really good and I liked how he was portrayed. I I felt like the the battle between him and Percy was very anticlimactic, unfortunately. Um, it kind of is in the book too. It is, it is. But I, I don't know. I just, man, I was picturing something a, a little more grandiose. Um, but I agree that the, the casting I thought was was excellent. I also like that. Like, I'm starting a Twitter fight. Like, I love just making people fight. Like, bringing that into the modern age was cool. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Hades just didn't. And, and it's funny because I have multiple friends like who grew up with me, same like went to school with me, and were, were have been Percy fans of me since day one. All of us have all agreed on that. Hades was just weird. It just wasn't how yeah. we ever pictured him. I don't know. It was just very odd and off-putting. For me, he's always been this kind of like scary version of like a goth, like a goth who grew up. Kind of like this weird cross of like 
Jareth the Goblin King from Labyrinth and Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> and like, you know, Lucius Malfoy, you know, and like that kind of like menace in a soft voice, you know, uh, and like gorgeous put together three piece suit and black eyeliner. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was not. And his whole attitude felt very off. And maybe it's because like a God of the Dead. And yeah, again, if you're Disneying it down doesn't work as well but when you think about how these books are written for kids but still come across much scarier and so why do you think they change the ending so dramatically in terms of they don't finish the quest on time zeus does start the war even after zeus knows that there's no reason to start a war with poseidon he still wants to fight a war and poseidon surrenders in order to end the war I don't know. Rick Rick went out of his way in an interview to say that it doesn't really change the ending and it all will make sense. And I was like believing him. And then I saw it and I was like, are, are you kidding me? I think that it, the fact, like, the fact that Percy, Annabeth, and Grover overcame everything and finished the quest on time was a testament to their strength and their courage and their endurance. And I thought that taking that away was insulting. I think that they only, in, in reality, I think they had only Zeus up there to save money on having to pay a cast of 16 actors to all sit in on Mount Olympus. And I feel like Percy first walking into Mount Olympus and seeing all of the gods and seeing how small he was compared to them was, again, would have lent some canter to what Luke was saying. Um, and Poseidon being kind of aloof towards him versus in here, he's like defending Percy and like, I surrender. Okay, like they, like they made Zeus, they did make Zeus feel as jerky and angry and proud as he was in the book and i really think lou reddick did it perfectly Poseidon again soft so soft like i don't think Poseidon in the book would surrender just for percy it just didn't it just didn't feel true to the way the characters were in the book for me and i was i don't know i felt like they didn't need to do any of that we could have very easily made the changes they wanted to make and still had it end the normal way yeah Amelia, what'd you think? I agree. You know, I mean, if I, I'm trying to believe in Rick, I'm trying, like, he hasn't hurt me. me. He hasn't really, really hurt me yet. I I want to yeah. have faith that it's all going to make sense. There is a war coming though. That's right. the whole purpose of the first five books. There's a war, you know, but it's not it's not like that and then with Poseidon defending him and just that whole interconnection right there like I hated that like I that dynamic never happened in the book between Poseidon and Zeus at no point mm -hmm. was Poseidon ever like submissive to Zeus or really were they you know ever directly in contact other than discussing things about Percy mm -hmm. right you know and I feel like just if you had a moment where Ares was up there and Athena was up there, and you got to see the glares and like just kind of mm. like you know the, the fact that I always picture with the air getting sucked out of the room as this little rebellious demigod who's only known he's been a demigod for two weeks walks in and is already sticking it to them. Like it, it just it felt like as a kid reading that I was like like this is like if when I feel really passionate about something like and I stick up for myself or talk back to an adult like that's how I would feel and they all kind of look at me. And then they're like, what is this like? You know, this kid might might be right, but we're the adults in the room. So we're, we're just right. going to exert ourselves over him. And like, I felt that as a kid, I felt like I experienced that. 
And I thought they didn't portray that in the show. Like, it was just Zeus being angry. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very true. I think... Because also, because when, when Poseidon surrenders, like, what happens? There's no stakes in that war whatsoever. Right. Like, what's... Is it just roll over? You know, because we know that the war is starting for no good purpose. If the war is to get the bolt back, but you have the bolt back already, like, who cares? Um, I think it's just to prove that Zeus is that petty. Yeah. And I was like, that's just... It's just... I don't know. It was just silly to me. And, like, he, he didn't seem... He's like, I know about Kronos. I know. I'm not surprised by this. Like, it's just... I don't know. If, like, in the, in the books... The gods kept ignoring it and saying, you're wrong, like, Kronos isn't, Kronos can't come back, we, we can handle it. Like, he just, it feels like Zeus takes it more seriously in the show, mm-hmm. and I feel like in the books, it's portrayed as them being very, like, nonchalant, like, we are, much like the Jedi Council, Matthew, very, like, aloof and, like, we can't be beaten, they're done, yeah. they're dead, the Titans are gone, like, yeah, I, I don't know, it just, I would say that Kronos' portrayal as being this, like, creepy creature in his dreams i thought was pretty cool i thought that was a good portrayal the, the dreams of, of percy had of chronos was was cool yeah and i love they called him grandpa yeah i did i did too so i was like don't call him that that was great all right well it's been a great conversation thank you guys so much um any uh last comments amelia i'm gonna start with you um well i just hope that this gets big enough that we get the rest of the books like Personally, my favorite is Heroes of Olympus over the other three or the other two series. Mm-hmm. And I would just, I want to see those characters come to life. I want to see Jason, Piper, Leo, Hazel, Frank. I want to see them and more than I want to see Percy. So I just really hope this show goes well. I hope we get five seasons and I hope we get many more. I don't know how that's possible. They're child actors. They're rapidly aging. I noticed at several points yeah. that I could tell where reshoots had been done on Walker Strobel because he looked visibly older in scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially in the and last episode, there were reshoots because he looked older. And, like, if you want to know why this is a problem, watch the last season of Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. Where it's obvious that a couple of those kids have hit their puberty growth spurt and a couple of them have not. And they look dramatically different. Um, and that, and yeah. isn't that why they're doing they're, – from what I read, the Avatar show on Netflix, they are recording season two. Or they almost finished recording the second season because they're trying to record all three seasons in under, like, a year so they have them all be the same age still. Yeah, that's yeah, what you have that, to do that, with child actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that whole show happens within a year. Yeah, you know? does, yeah right. So, the actual animated show. And, um, and granted, I, in Percy Jackson, the kids age. I mean, they should be, yeah. you know, about to graduate by the time it ends. But still, I, I would like to ask one one more question before we go. If that's all right, Matthew, to both of you, I have always been of the mindset, and I want to clarify. I enjoyed this show, but I've always been of the mindset that Percy Jackson lends itself better to an animated show. Yes, and I'm curious what the two of you think about that. Uh, be like, I feel like that it's that's true for every book. And that's something I was thinking about earlier today that I wanted to bring up on this. So that's really good. Like a lot of books, especially fantasy books and things like that, that have like an element to that where it would be a little better animated mm-hmm. are getting turned mm-hmm. into to TV shows and movies. And I'm like, we need to not make these live action. We need to animate these. Then you don't have to, you know, it's cheaper, I think, overall compared to the CGI budget. You'll be able to yep. get the, the seasons out more rapidly. You don't have to worry about people aging. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel yeah. like a lot of books, especially with the fantasy element, would be better done animated. 
I was just saying, you know, all this stuff about Ares with the fire in his eyes and yeah. like the, the, the 12 foot tall version of Hades before 10 foot tall version before he shrinks down to human size. Yeah, I th- like it may have been the right decision not to do that because it appeared cheesy in live action with the effects they have. But yeah, I think then uh, I, I I think for far too long, too many people, myself included, saw animation as kind of like, well, what live action is the real stuff. And I think we just got to stop that entirely. Like, There's some story. Nimona is one of my favorite, I think one of the best movies that came out last year. I wish it was in the best picture discussion. And I think Nimona would not work at all as live action. No. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I look at, I'm, I'm a big anime fan. You look at, you know, stories being told in anime, you know, made in Japan. And like, an exa- I mean, an extreme example, but like One Piece is about like young people. And that show has been going on for over 20 years. And the characters haven't really aged very much in the show. But you're able to keep telling a story indefinitely because all you need is a voice actor and i think that like the the ability to do so much of what they do in percy jackson all the fantasy elements like they didn't even include argus in the live action show because they didn't want to pay the cgi budget of putting all the eyes on somebody like i just think that the animated an animated series would allow them like like you know like like you said Amelia, like to, to pace it out to to really like and also you could make a 20 episode animated show no one would bat an eye for for an animated season to be like that yeah like 20 episodes in live action cost a ton of money people would be like that's too much animated it happens all the time and you would have been able to give more time to lay things out and i just think i don't know that's just not that this show is bad i really enjoy it i hope we get all of the show episodes as well but i think one day i'd love to see an animated adaptation of this book series yeah i think it's true i will say though in terms of casting i forgot the person who i think was Perhaps the best casting of anyone in the entire show. Wait, can I guess? Go for it. Do you think it's Dionysus? Dionysus? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, yes. it's the one character we haven't really talked about yeah. at all. But yeah, Jason uh, Manzakis. Yeah. Yes. I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yes, fully. Like, hard agree. He is so, so good. Perfectly. He, he so is good. the embodiment of Dionysus. Yeah. Especially Grouchy hasn't been able to have a drink or have any fun with satyrs in yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I saw that casting for the first time when she went, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that checks yeah. all the and boxes. And that, that change, I was so okay with, with him just being like, bringing Percy in circles, like, son, yes, it's me. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, that was so, so good. He can do whatever he wants with the character, and it's right, because it's him. Yeah, like, he yeah, can I just agree. improv the whole thing, and it doesn't he matter. He is the character, so he's he right. Is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. All right. Well, thank you both. Uh, in our bonus section, we're going to talk a little about like thoughts for the, the coming seasons. Uh, I think a simple fact that we all want more of this, we just want it to be a little bit better, it already puts us miles and miles ahead of the books. So I'm so glad for that. Uh, ahead of the movies. I mean, I think the books are clearly the best. TV shows next. Uh, and the movies are, you know, the movies, uh, the less spoken about them, the better. Um I'll just say, again, thank you to both of you so much for being here. If you're not a member, uh, uh, thank you so much for listening. You can become a member for just $5 a month, uh, $55 a year. You get ad-free content. You get the bonus content. And we're now doing bonus episodes over on the Star Wars Galaxies podcast. We're doing a book club. We are probably going to be starting a book club here in um, Superhero Ethics Land as well. Um, So there's lots of great reasons to be uh, on there for the bonus content. Um, And, uh, uh, yeah, so... Thank you much. Thank you both so much for being a part of this episode. Uh, to all our listeners, we have spoken. Matthew, I love you, but I want to make fun of you for one thing. You have mentioned the podcast twice this episode and got the name wrong both times. <laughs> what did I say? You said, first you said Star Wars Universe, and you said Star Wars Galaxies. I'm like, oh, the other podcast. Okay, I haven't got, yeah. Star Wars Generations podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We have spoken.